1: Welcome everybody to the Positively podcast. Well, I'm really excited today because I have one of my heroes. I am going to be doing an interview with one of my heroes, and actually, I am sitting here with her now. Her name is Dr. Megan Heron, and she is probably one of the people that I quote most in the books that I write because um, she makes makes such profound sense with um, the research that she has done and um, with her philosophy uh, of training and behavior. So uh, welcome, Megan. And I'm so pleased that you can join me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure, Victoria. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be sitting here and talking with you today. I'm a complete fangirl. I, I have followed a lot of your work. I quote you in my books. And
0: can you please tell people a little bit more about you? So I'm a veterinary behaviorist. And first of all, I'm the fangirl here, so don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Anyways, I'm a veterinary behaviorist. And what that means is I'm a veterinarian who also went on to specialize in animal behavior after I graduated. Um, And so basically what that means, I have a specialty in treating companion animals, mainly dogs and cats, for various behavior problems. Um, And I spent the last decade working at The Ohio State University, teaching veterinary students and seeing patients. And I made a big change and uh, switched gears a bit, and I'm very happy to have recently joined the team here at GGS, where I'm the senior director of behavioral medicine, education, research, and outreach.
1: So not a lot then, really. Yeah, just a no. lot. <laughs> tell me a little I bit. I put a lot of <laughs> names in that title because yeah, <laughs> I want to do everything. A lot.
0: I want to do everything. But GGS is a place where you can. Can you tell yes. me a little bit about GGS? Yes. So Gigi's... Um, thanks to our generous founders, Tina Scastos, is a center that really works to improve the lives of shelter dogs all over, currently all over the state of Ohio. And so it's a center where we go into rural parts of Ohio that are very under-resourced, underserved, um, working on very little. So big hearts, they do a lot with very little, but they're still struggling. And so what Gigi's has done is gone into each of these shelters and help really boost their infectious disease protocols, has helped really reconstruct some of their shelters so that they can function even on the little that they have very well. And we pull these dogs. So the problem with these areas is there is a surplus of dogs. And there are very few adopters for those dogs so these dogs really once they enter a shelter have very little hope of finding another home um, so they have very poor outcomes but what Gigi's does is they recognize well hey we've got other shelters in Ohio that have a deficit of dogs these high and high resource shelters that need dogs on their adoption floor so let's close this gap let's get these dogs out of these shelters where they have very little to no hope let's pro- so we get them into our center here we get them spayed neutered healthy vaccinated and ready to go and we, they may get literally onto the adoption floor and often stay very short periods of time at these higher resource shelters. So it's it's matching the surplus with um, a deficit, really.
1: Great, now tell me a little bit about, for people who don't know what a veterinary behaviorist is, what is it?
0: So, so what a veterinary do you behaviorist do. It means I get to be a veterinarian. So I understand all the physical aspects of dogs, um, how their body works, how their brain works, um, and what sort of Behaviors might indicate that there's something wrong medically with them. And the behavior aspect of that, so some of that is doing things that a dog trainer might do. So changing behavior, training them to offer desirable behaviors. And some of that is also emotional change, so more we call behavior modification. So um, I get to do all of these things together. Change behavior, change emotional responses to the environment, to people and see how that fits in with the physical aspects of my patients. It's it's really fun if you ask me to pick one or the other, being a veterinarian or behaviorist, I don't think I could choose. But I would say being a veterinarian is essential to what I do and accomplish. And then I get to come to Gigi's and share all these traits and various experiences um, to have the greatest impact that I can on as many dogs as possible.
1: Okay, so now you're working in this environment, right? And you're working with dogs that have are transitioning mm-hmm. some of the history you're going to know, others you don't know too much about. What is your methodology, philosophy? Yes. How do you
0: <clears throat> train dogs? It's a great question because there are so many ways to train dogs and you can get on the Google search and how do I train my dog? You know, to stop counter surfing, you're going to find a hundred different ways to accomplish that and really what i try to look at as my philosophy is i need to use methodology in a way that abides by the five freedoms because i want to be able to modify behavior in a way that is ideal for that animal's welfare if i am doing something to them that's causing fear, pain, distress to me that's not behavior modification right and so i i really look at those five freedoms in my, all of my decision making and I think as part of being a veterinary behaviorist when you're looking not just as training one behavior versus another it's the emotional aspect of behaviors and so what is the motivation if I'm seeing an undesirable behavior in a dog what's the motivation behind that if I don't understand the root of that behavior it's going to be very hard to change it so if I understand let's say for example a dog is barking and lunging at other dogs when he passes them on a leash well if I really look at the body language so I see diluted pupils I see hackles are up I see Um, wide, open mouth, tongue hanging out, harsh, panting. These are all stress signals. These are all signs that are telling me that dog's underlying emotion is probably stemming from fear, anxiety, uncertainty, frustration. And so if I am just to, you know, put a leash on him and prong collar and say, stop stop doing that because it's an undesirable behavior, I might effectively inhibit that behavior, that symptom of that emotion, but I'm doing nothing to alter the emotion behind it. So what I want to do is think, how can I change that? negative, fearful emotion to a positive one, and typically the only way to accomplish that is by using something that elicits that positive emotion, whether that's food, whether that's praise, whether that's play for interactions, and try to pair that with whatever is causing that fear. If we're not afraid anymore, we don't have motivation to be aggressive, so my philosophy is going to be utilizing means to positively change that underlying emotion. What do you say to people though? Uh, trainers as
1: well out there um, who say that actually the positive philosophy actually doesn't really work, or the humane philosophy doesn't really work with dogs that are high drive, that are very naughty, that are being very dominant, that maybe are biters, that it doesn't work, that you you have to have a heavier hand, you have to be dominant, you have to be in charge. What do you say to those people that say, especially with shelter dogs, it cannot be done. This behavior modification cannot be done. It is much better to do it our way, which is to use harsh punishment or to use devices that cause pain and fear.
0: Sure. Well, we use pain, we use fear, we use intimidation, again, to inhibit behaviors, right? And in order to do that, so the rules of using punishment for it to be effective is that it has to be harsh enough, painful enough, or scary enough to actually stop that behavior. So if these truly are these tough dogs, these really hard-driven dogs, you gotta get pretty aversive with them. So then we go back to my welfare stance, and to me that's that's inhumane if you have to get that heavy-handed, that tough, that brutal with these dogs to try to change their behavior. And then B, it doesn't address the underlying motivation for the behavior. So when you, the argument of, well, positive doesn't work, we must go to heavy handed shock callers for that to work. Well, then, to me, what's the definition of working? Because all that's doing is inhibiting. And to me, inhibition is not behavior modification. That's not working. That's shutting down in that moment. And that's not going to be long lasting. Changing the underlying emotion is one, what's going to be long lasting. And sure, in a shelter situation, you're going to get dogs that come to you with a lot of baggage, a lot of emotional baggage, either lack of socialization or history of abuse or neglect, where there's a lot of emotion that we've got to undo, and that's going to take some time. But that's why we have, that's the beauty of GGs, right, is we have this whole center where we can take a little extra time with some of these dogs and work through what's the motivation of this behavior, is it something we can effectively change so that we're not seeing it anymore. And that way I'm producing a dog for adoption that we've changed emotion in, so we have no reason to show these undesirable behaviors, as opposed to a dog that I've forced to shut down temporarily. So that's my argument there. Um, should we ever punish a dog?
1: I mean, what about those people out there say, okay, you positive people, like you're just you just you you train the small fluffies <laughs> and the puppies and the easy dogs, but um, we train the harsh dogs. What do you say to that? First of all, and then I have another question following that.
0: Okay. Well, I hear it all the time. Well, this is just a dog. Well, he's just never been told no in his life. Or, you know, you just need to be heavy-handed and show him who is boss. I mean, really, I'd say with these dogs, it's all about consistency. You want to be predictable. You want to be consistent. And you want to reward the behaviors that you want to see repeated. It's just the principles of learning theory, right? Um, And then, you know... there's not really a need to be harsh if you're not giving them opportunity to perform behaviors that are undesirable. And if you're also, if you're seeing those behaviors, we're not giving any reinforcement for it. There's just, there's no reason for them to show these behaviors. There are plenty of ways to not use aversive means and still use learning theory that's not harsh and accomplish the task. Certainly in some cases that might take a little longer if, if there's a lot of emotion under it, but it's about sending, sending messages of these are behaviors I want to see. I provide reinforcement for that. These are behaviors I don't want to see. I don't provide reinforcement for that, and I also set you up so there aren't opportunities for you to practice that behavior.
1: Now, let's let's address the person in the home now that, um, or or the trainer that says, "Hey, I got to do this real fast because if I don't do this fast, this dog is a not going to stay in the home, or is not going to get adopted, or is going to get euthanized." Mm-hmm. What do you say to that?
0: I I would counter with the question, what's more important, fast or permanent? Because a lot of these very quick, easy fix, one-time fixes all, it works in that moment, but it's not going to last forever if it's not addressing the underlying motivation for that behavior.
1: So you're saying that if you are willing to put more on the front end, you're going to have a lifetime of changed behavior a lifetime of good behavior
0: of a dog that's content absolutely right okay you work on the motivation which up front may require a bit more work i think but i actually think it's not even more work it's just it's more careful right it's working smarter not harder like you don't need to be heavy handed but you need to be smart and you need to look at the individual dog and think what's reinforcing and what's not reinforcing that particular behavior you know, whereas it's very easy to put a shock collar in one size fits all, shock everything that we don't like. But if we're not giving that dog an opportunity to offer behaviors that we do like and we can reinforce it, we're not. We're just essentially going to see a dog that's shut down. And I think most people, people ask me this all the time, well, what's the difference? Why can't I send my dog to that shock collar boot camp where well, they come out, they well behave, what's the difference? And I said, well... You tell me you want a dog that sits because he's motivated and happy to do so or because he's afraid of the consequence if he doesn't and that's all i guess to kind head on your owner right? um, changing tack a little bit um there there's a lot of people who
1: work in the rescue um world that listen to this podcast and uh, how how do you help dogs in a shelter environment i mean GGS is going to be in, and the behavior department's being built, and that's going to be amazing. But let's just take your standard, bog-standard shelter. What are some of the things that people can do just to make the dogs stay there a little
0: bit better? There's so much that can be done on a very limited budget. So, first of all, we can afford some leashes. My one rule is that we give opportunity for outdoor elimination at least twice a day. So that requires people and leashes but hopefully it's not too much time. So giving them that basic need of food, water, opportunity to eliminate outside of their living space. There's also a lot of enrichment we can provide. So we think about the three main needs for our dogs, physical, mental, and social stimulation. And so while we need not be able to take the time to exercise each dog for half an hour, you know, if you get them out of that kennel, let them stretch their legs, at least giving them a little bit of physical means of stimulation. Mental stimulation. If you don't have time to take each dog out for a 20-minute training session, hey, if you do, great. Get them out there, grab some treats, and work on some basic skills. Not just to have that skills, but so they're actually using that brain and working that mind, so it doesn't start looking for other outlets for that. Um, Or maybe we just throw some stainless steel buckets on the outside of your kennels, and every time you're cleaning them, or there's an adopter or a volunteer walking by, grab that treat. Look for, not even a sit, I just say an improvement in behavior. If you were jumping, I'm going to wait till all four feet are on the floor, and then I'm going to give that treat. It doesn't have to be fancy, expensive treat, just small, soft, and stinky, if that's what you want to say.
1: Small, soft, and
0: stinky? Yes, small, soft, and stinky. Um, And then the social time, right? I mean, who doesn't want to go love on dogs? They're usually pretty easy, and, you know, we're talking talking about our socialization program for our, our puppies, because we need to balance the risk of infectious disease, and socialization. So we're tie backing up and I said, All right, everybody has a new role. You're all gonna socialize puppies. Is anyone upset about that? (laughs) No. Pretty pretty most people are pretty happy to just have that social one on one time. So while it might seem like, oh, it's a waste of time, you're just going in and petting dogs, but just that that human interaction, we have studies showing just that human interaction for dogs that are socialized to people, it's really, really helpful for their stress relief. So you know, think of ways to do that. Now, you can also, if you don't have the time to do a lot of one-on-one training, just giving them enrichment toys, so puzzle toys. They have to use their brain to figure that out. doesn't have to be expensive, so we will do drives to collect empty toilet paper rolls or empty paper towel rolls. You cut them in half, stuff them with foods, scrunch the ends. If you have a freezer, you can freeze them, so they last even longer. And that's cheap. And it's a fun little fundraiser. If you've got a Girl Scout troop say, hey, can you do a collection of toilet paper rolls and can you come in and stuff them for us? It's a great role for the community to play. Get your community involved in ways, even if they're not directly interacting with dogs one-on-one, there's so much they can do to help this. If it's walking by cages and tossing in treats, creating fun budget enrichment toys, you know. We'll do a box in a box in a box here. So if you save all of your recyclable uh, cardboard food boxes, so a cereal box, macaroni and cheese box, and each layer has another treat, so they have to rip it apart. It's really mentally stimulating for them, and it's food, it's rewarding. They can't help but be experiencing that positive emotion at the same time as being present in that shelter. So that positive emotion is going to wear off in their environment. So over time, it's really going to help them cope. Because there's a lot to cope with in a shelter, right? There's this combination of overstimulation and understimulation, where there's barking, high traffic, different people, different noises, sights, and smells. Yet often there's very little social, mental, or physical interaction going on. And so they're again, they're getting too much of one and not enough of the other. But something as simple as an enrichment toy that is really recycled cardboard can make a huge difference for that dog.
1: Let's say somebody has just adopted a dog. How long is it going to take for
0: that dog to settle in their home? That is a great question. I wish I had a standard answer for it. Um, I think it's going to depend because we, particularly in our situation, we're bringing dogs from vastly different situations. So some of these dogs in these rural areas, they've been hunting dogs. They've been outside all their life. And here they are coming to live in someone's you know, two bedroom apartment without a yard. That's a huge change for them. It's gonna take them some time to adapt. And we're gonna to have to work a little more diligently on house training and, and teaching them where to go outside. And we're gonna to need to help provide for that physical exercise that they probably had a whole lot of when they were roaming on uh, you know, 50 acres. It's doable, but we wanna give them some time to do that. Which might be different from a dog that's an owner surrender and very used to living in that environment. Then they might cope within just a few days. If you had three things to tell a dog lover,
1: three pieces of advice, what would it be?
0: Dog lovers who've just adopted? Yeah,
1: well, yes, yeah. I'm putting you on the spot here. (laughs) But just three pieces of advice that sort of come to your mind that you would want every dog lover to know. I told you, it's horrible when you get asked that. I'm asked that all the time. I'm like, (laughs) I.
0: Um, well, I guess three pieces of advice, so dog lovers, you want, like, you get your sheltered dog. Yes. Yeah. Be patient, be patient, um, and, and try to temper your expectations, really. I think you just need to take that initial time and let that dog's personality blossom, because it may be vastly different from what you saw in that shelter environment. So being patient, giving them space to blossom. Move at a gradual pace. I feel everybody is in a rush to socialize. So we get a dog from a shelter; they're a little on the shy side, and we want to take them to Lowe's and Home Depot and run them everywhere. And often that's that's too much for them. So as you're working, if you feel like you're you're moving at a slow pace, that's probably the right pace. Thank I
1: myself. I love that, and I think I think these are these are simple and easy things to do, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know whether it's been your experience, but my experience is that A, people want quick fixes. B, people want turnkey dogs. And because just general life is getting busier now, there's less time. Mm -hmm. And so it's harder for dogs to acclimate into homes. Mm -hmm. But there are easy things that you can do to make your life easier and the dog's life easier as well in your home. So um, I know I put you on the spot here. Uh, Could you say three things about you that, might not know about.
0: Three things about me? Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, you are putting me on that Now seat. I know, I know. <laughs> oh gosh, let's see. Well, what a lot of people might not know is that I'm, I'm a chihuahua lover.
1: Oh my gosh, there you go. We have the same jackets, with <laughs> fangles, and you love chihuahuas. I have a chihuahua. Oh yeah. There you go, okay. I
0: have a chihuahua too.
1: Okay. What, what's your chihuahua, I like chihuahua, called?
0: chihuahua His name is Willet.
1: Mine's Jasmine. Willet and Jasmine? Yeah. it's like a match
0: made in heaven. <laughs> yes. Okay, but everyone, people are often surprised. A is a veterinarian because they're typically land shark biters. But that I, I had that reputation when I was working at the municipal shelter. Like Dr. Heron, we got a got a land shark ready for you, and I just couldn't wait to make him love me because I always did. <laughs> oh yes, <yeah. laughs> it's so rewarding. It's oh, they're yeah. just scared, and that's all they have is that little yeah, big bark. So I'm a chihuahua lover. Um. This is a hard one. You should have I me. I know but it is. I know it is. But problem. I didn't
1: like people to pre-prepare. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: let's see. Um, let's see. I've tried to leave Ohio a couple of times. So, I was a wannabe city girl. And um, I realized you can take the girl out of the suburbs, but you can't take the suburbs out of the girl. So, suburban mom here. <laughs> Alright, one more.
1: Well, can I ask you a question, though? Mm-hmm. So, maybe the third thing, mm-hmm. and I still don't want to put words in your mouth, but you just said you're a mother. Mm-hmm. Here's a question I get asked a lot it, ha, how, how is
0: raising children similar to raising dogs? <laughs> so, it's actually a lot very similar. Because <laughs> um, I will find myself reinforcing behaviors, or I will find myself yelling. Like, you get, you know, full time working mom. Kids' needs haven't been met. And you just end up yelling at each other. And then I take a step back and think, wow, this is just like my patients whose owners are working all day. They're not providing physical, mental, or social stimulation for their dogs, and they're acting out. It's exactly my life. Um, and so I have to catch myself. I step back and say, all right, we, we haven't met your needs. Let's take some time together <laughs> um, and have, give enrichment to my own children and then work on, all right, what's working for you? What motivates you? It's exactly the same, to be honest. And to also recognize in children, I think that a lot of their behaviors that are undesirable are actually rooted in emotion, just like dogs. And they're commonly misunderstood. And then unfortunately, children, just like dogs, are subject to aversive punishments and treatments for a behavior that is not motivated by you know, deceit or being bad. So it's very
1: similar. So how how do you maintain that work-life balance?
0: You are a working mother. How do you do it? Well, I think right now with this opportunity, it's affording me great flexibility. And I just love being here. (laughs) I love being here, so it doesn't feel like work. Um, And, you know, fortunately, um, you know, I have a husband and partner who who shares a lot of the work very equally with me. So I'm very fortunate for that. So, But it's a balance, and it's difficult, and it's a challenge for sure. But I feel like this transition I've made is giving me that ability to be able to breathe a little bit. Because while there is so much I want to take on, rather than it being stressful, it's exciting to me. And then that doesn't add to pressure when I get home. I come home feeling invigorated, feeling happy, feeling motivated rather than feeling stressed out. So I think that helps me be a better mother as well.
1: Now, if people want to find out more about
0: you, more about GGS, where would they go? GGS.org is going to have all the information they need about me, about our organization, about making a donation, or looking into what we've done with our partner shelters. So everything you can is there. It's great. And then, do we have a Facebook page I should plug, or is it just GGS or
1: GGS for So facebookcom That's Justin. In the the background there that you just heard. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Facebook page is Gigi's for Dogs. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time. We've had a long day because of course we've been filming with you today and we've been filming at Gigi's and with Justin and with an amazing Unsung Hero because we're here filming our Petco Foundation Unsung Hero series. And so I'm very excited. You will, uh, for all of those people who love the Unsung Hero series, you'll be able to yeah, see them, they'll be up on the Petco Foundation website in April. So we, you, you actually are our last, uh, um, well, you are certainly a hero of mine, but the, the person we've come to film with here, who has really sort of built this place, literally, is, is the last person that we're filming with in the series. So um, I think we're, we're going out in a, at a really extraordinary place. And thank you so much for joining us. Such a us.
0: pleasure. So thank glad you. to finally meet you. I know
1: it's, been, it's, it's, it's great. it really has—it's really wonderful. When Justin said, "Oh yeah, we've hired this person. <laughs> yeah, her name is, is Dr. Megan Heron," I was like,
0: "What?" <laughs> well, then I have to tell yes. you a funny story. Yes. Because he sent me a text and said, "Hey, so you know Victoria Stowa, Like, she's okay, right?" <laughs> really good. <laughs> like, making sure you want to see them along. Good. I said, yeah. "Yes, thumbs <laughs> up." Uh, like, you could tell he panicked for just a second. Like, oh, wait, is she okay? Is she going to get
1: mad? Yeah. <laughs> I said, yes. Good. Thank she you. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. We, uh, we do things the right way. We're on the right side I of history. lines. we're aligned. Yeah. Right. We are, definitely. Yeah. Members. Thank you so much. <laughs> Pleasure. You. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook and YouTube as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively.